Hey there, welcome back to the Cannabis Update podcast, where I give leaders and organizations an opportunity to tell their stories and share information. Well, if you've been stuck at home or barely going out like me over the last month, you might be starting to get a little tired of all the COVID-related content out there. And although it affects us all, sometimes you just need a break from it. Well, today I'm happy to introduce two guests who are publishing the first ebook version of The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And if you don't already know, The Emperor Wears No Clothes was written by one of the most famous cannabis icons in the last century, Mr. Jack Herrera. His son, Dan, and business partner Bruce joined me to talk about the official launch of the new electronic version. And Dan also told some super cool stories about his late father writing the book and how the book came to life. Now, if you've been a regular listener to the podcast, you know that each one of these takes time and research, which wouldn't be possible without the help of sponsorship who support this work. So I want to make a quick shout out to Keystone Labs for their support. Keystone Labs provides analysis and full-suite testing of cannabis for everyone from four-plant growers to large-scale licensed producers. And these days, if you grow or you consume legal cannabis, you want to know things like THC and terpene potency, cannabinoid profiles, and things like that. So if you're a four-plant grower, you should check out their affordable Keybox testing kit at key-box.ca. And if you are a larger grower, I'd recommend reaching out to Keystone Labs account manager Stephanie Ostrander directly. 780 224-2095 or go to their website, keystonelabs.ca. Hey, if you own a business or product and want to reach all of my listeners and viewers, reach out to me, michael at distinctmedia.ca, and I will send you a media kit. All right, let's jump into this. Please welcome Bruce Dietzen and Dan Herrera. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast in these crazy times. Hello. Good morning. How are you, Michael? Uh, I'm good. It's been busy here up in Alberta, but uh, I'm sure for you guys too. We're, I guess we're in uh, three unique parts of North America, so we all have our own stories and experiences. Could you guys give us quick intros? Just tell us who each of you are. Why don't we start with you, Bruce? Sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is Bruce Michael Dietzen, and uh, um, uh, I am the guy who um, put together and built and designed uh, the, the modern day hemp bar. And uh, after I did that, I uh, got to know Dan Harer, and uh, and together we decided that we wanted to bring uh, his dad's book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, back to the public because it's been out of print for the last 10 years. So those are the two things I've, I've been involved in. Okay. And what about you, Dan? Well, uh, <laughs> for me, uh, I've been... Uh running a, a foundation called the Jack Harrow Foundation, continuing the education that my father um, shared with folks uh, around this country and around the world. I then uh, opened a cannabis company here in California. My father is the packaging of this brand. It's called the Original Jack Harrow. Um, and it really is, it's just connected to the legacy that I grew up with, with regards to cannabis and the access to this flower that we produce and sell throughout California. Mm. Well, getting ready for this interview, uh, I Googled you both. I watched a few YouTube videos on you both. Super interesting backgrounds. Um, and I've seen you speak about this already uh, on a video on YouTube, but can you describe a little bit what it was like to be Jack Harris' son? <laughs> For me? Uh, it was it was fairly normal. It wasn't uh, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary for me. But for all of my friends, it seemed to be quite odd. Uh, you know, my my father um, growing up in high school was uh, very open about cannabis. I was exposed to it uh, at a young age. I didn't start smoking until I was in my uh, well. 
I, the first time I tried it was I was 12, uh, but cannabis just became part of my family life. So it didn't seem odd. So I was always the kid in high school with, uh, with the good pot. And, you know, every two years or every four years, I was the guy, you know, wrangling my friends to help uh, collect signatures for whatever cannabis initiative my father was promoting. Um, and that started from, from 1980 when I became old enough to register voters. And, you know, I was part of like every cannabis initiative since then. That was just my whole life uh, being around my father was about, you know, trying to legalize this plant and try to end prohibition. And during that time, uh, my father wrote a book that sort of started changing the, 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 the demographic understanding uh, of cannabis from uh, kids that were my age uh, in the early 20s at that time to adults that have been wondering uh, where are the answers for cannabis and where's the truth. And when the book came out, uh, it really started uh, elevating people's consciousness uh, and and giving them uh, not only uh, a voice or or inspiring them to find their voice, but it gave them the truth to stand behind uh, when they uh, came up to somebody uh, who was uh, anti-cannabis. They had all the ammunition they needed in order to stand up and be heard. Nice. Well, I've interviewed a lot of um, well, well-known people in the uh, cannabis scene, activists. And um, I often say to them, you know, give me a memory, something something cool that you've done in the past you can tell us about. And you'd be shocked how many people have said, I met Jack Herrer once, or I smoked weed with him once. And also people who bring the book up. It's always brought up. People say, you know, I read this book and that was the moment I changed my life and I decided that this was important to me. And uh, like, it's such a significant book um, <laughs> for legalization and just for spreading knowledge about the plant and hemp and what it can do in society, uh, especially now that, at least in Canada, prohibition has been waived for the most part. Um, and it's quasi-legal. It's quasi-legal. It's not, I don't think that prohibition is ended by any stretch of the imagination mm -hmm. because everything that happens in Canada or the US or around the world, all of the framework, all of the regulation, all of uh, the requirements to become a cannabis company, all of that is still uh, mired in, in the fears of prohibition. And prohibition is still the foundation of the regulatory uh, structure of yeah. cannabis. Yeah. So if you're still using the lies that created prohibition in order to govern cannabis, you know, I, I mean, you. you know, well, we call then, it in Canada no prohibition. You've, you've probably heard this before, but in Canada, we call it prohibition 2.0. Um, it's just a new set of regulations that have been <laughs> applied yeah. to the plant and its use, which is yeah. crazy. And, and and it's and it's it's those same lies that are that framework. So how could it be any different? You know, yes, we're able to monetize it, but we're not able to really do anything for it ourselves. We are literally controlled by the government uh, on every aspect of its access or its distribution or its sale or its ingestion. Mm. And you know, to think of a plant that has been a part of mankind for tens of thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You would think you would think you know uh, just because uh, the the FDA was created doesn't mean that uh, cannabis uh, you know was not safe you know ten thousand years ago just yeah. because they don't because their understanding of what is acceptable to put in your body or to consume or to or to grow uh, is <laughs> is structured with these same lies mm -hmm. that somehow you know, tens of thousands of years of history are all negated because they don't understand it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, 
I had and it's a problem. Yeah, no, I hear you. What, do you remember your father writing the book? I do. You do? I, I, I specific. Oh my god! Uh, when my father, when my father wrote this book, you know, it was it was really a strange thing. Um, we were collecting signatures out on the the United States Federal Building in Westwood, California in uh, the early 1980s. And Ronald Reagan had just been elected president. And we were on the lawn of the federal building in Westwood, uh, Westwood Village, right at uh, Veteran and Wilshire Boulevard, which is the busiest intersection, at least at that time, in all of the US. More cars pass through that intersection on a daily basis than anywhere. And we were collecting signatures and uh, we stayed on the lawn there for uh, almost 80 days. And uh, during that time, Ronald Reagan was uh, elected president and he was on his way to his inaugural haircut. And he came by the federal building and saw all these protesters out on the lawn. And when he pulled up to security there, he says, why are all the Canadians so upset that they would be protesting out on the lawn? And the security said, "Uh, Mr. President, um, those aren't aren't Canadians. Those are marijuana protesters. Because uh, he had mistaken the cannabis leaf for the maple leaf. Oh, jeez. And, and so he says, well, can't we do anything to get rid of them? And he says, well, we took them to court and they won. They have the right to be here. This is publicly owned land and they have the right to protest. Mm. And he says, well, I'm going to be sworn in in the next couple of weeks. Let me see what I can do. And uh, shortly after that, my, my father um, was arrested by LAPD. Uh, for violation of the Sedition Act, um, which uh, my father knew quite well um, because my father was a military MP uh, in the Korean War. And when he was arrested, he says, well, how can I be in violation of this of the Sedition Act? We're not at war. And the officer poked my father in the chest and said, we're at war with you. <laughs> and my father was arrested. The encampment on the lawn of the federal building had ended. And subsequently, there was a couple of years of, of fighting these charges. And initially, um, they were, uh, my father and a few other protesters were given a $5 fine uh, because they knew that it wasn't anything real. They just wanted him off the property. Pay the $5 fine, you can go. Well, my father would not pay the $5 fine. He would not admit that he was in violation of anything. Uh, he thought that what they were asking was completely un-American, that they would try to divert their rights or take away their rights to protest uh, peacefully. And uh, after about three and a half years of, uh, of uh, going through the appellate court, um, he was finally sentenced to uh, federal prison for registering voters to vote and collecting signatures. So uh, he was sentenced to uh, Terminal Island in San Pedro. And he wrote to us and said, hey, or excuse me, he called us and he says, hey, I, w- I want to write some things down. Uh, I need to be able, you know, this is the first time in 14 years that I've been alone and I haven't had anything to do. And uh, he said, send me some paper, send me something to write with. I just, I just need to write down my thoughts. And so we did. And while he was in there, he started outlining the book that would become uh, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. Now, when he, when he got out, um, he literally got like the old typewriter, you know, not, I mean, electric, but it was so loud when he was typing, you could hear the keys hitting, you know, it wasn't like writing with a computer these days. And he would be banging on the keys and he'd rip the page out and he'd hand it over to me and he'd say, here, read this, tell me what you think, you know? And, and that was, that was part of my, you know, my understanding and my, my experience with my father writing the book. Now, 
at the time, I, I, I still thought he was crazy because I knew just as little as anybody else, you know. But my father, he was like the sponge. Everything that he read, everything that he heard, um, everything that he researched, it literally imprinted in him. And he was able to recall uh, within, with great detail all things uh, with regards to cannabis. Wow. And uh, it's just uh, this book just became a force like my father was. I think I read online that there are 12 editions of the paper version. Um, and when, before we started the podcast, uh, Bruce and I were chatting a bit and... He had said that it's important to you guys now to reintroduce it, uh, one, electronically, of course, but two, to uh, bring it to younger generations. Uh, can you guys talk about that a little bit? Uh, certainly. Um, well, one, this book was written 35 years ago. I mean, so you, you ask yourself, why, why reissue this now? Why? It's 35 years old. It's been out there. But when it was published and distributed, it was done through... Um, uh, sort of the underground. It wasn't mainstream. It wasn't, you know, widely publicized other than in cannabis magazines and around this, around this, you know, this community. But this community is, is quite large. As you know, it, it spans the world. So this book, although it was only uh, 700,000 printed, it was probably read millions and millions and millions of times because every time somebody would read it, they'd be like, oh my God, this book's amazing. You have to read it. And they hand it off to their friend and they'd never see that book again because it would just get handed down and handed down and handed down to the next friend, the next friend, the next friend. Now, this last year, I went to Nepal for a, a speaking conference on hemp. Top of the world, base of the Himalayas. I'm there talking uh, with a group of representatives from 25 different countries young people, older, older adults from the construction industry to uh, plastic innovations. And these two young kids come up to me and they said, Mr. Herrer, thank you so much uh, for coming all the way to Nepal to, to talk about cannabis. And, and this, he goes, he says, your father's book changed mine and my brother's life. And I'm looking at these two probably late 20, you know, young men. Mm. And I, I said, really? I said, I said, that's, I said, that's great. Thank you so much for those kind words. And I said, so where are you from? He says, so, well, me and my brother are from Mongolia. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, here's a book that was written in the San Fernando Valley, uh, you know, in 1985. And, uh, you know, 35 years later, uh, it's still inspiring folks to find their voice, find a path to look at cannabis in a way that can still change our future. And when you think about the inspiration uh, that a book has, that 35 years after it's written, it's still inspiring folks. And these are still technically, I mean, these are folks within the cannabis community. But right now with everybody around the world looking at what is cannabis? Why is everybody making so much noise about it? Why are all these countries trying to legalize it and trying to export it or trying to import it or making products like CBD or hempcrete or hemp bioplastics or hemp fuel, all of these different things. The general community is now starting to want to know more about this plant. Why is this happening now? What's going on? Why is all of a sudden this plant that's been illegal for you know 80 years, why is the whole world asking for it? And quite honestly, it's because it's history and it's importance to how we lived and how we can live and how we should live in the future is still detailed in this book. And so this book is still just as powerful, if not even more powerful today, because now the mainstream 
people that would have no understanding of cannabis in general are starting to ask questions and they need a place to find those answers. And this book is that. Perspectives are opening up. I think people are, again, kicking tires on the potential benefits of cannabis use medically, recreationally, uh, spiritually, however you want to use it. Um, So I... I hear that. Um, now, you guys are uh, publishing this ebook together. Maybe I'll ask Bruce, how did you guys uh, form a relationship? What is your involvement in this process? Well, um, Dan is the guide, right? It's, uh, it's his family's book. And so he basically sets, you know, sets the path as to where we take this. Um, I come out of the computer industry for 30 years. Um, so I'm very familiar with the technology of how to uh, take and scan the, these old, old books, you know, um, and then scanning all of the images, etc. So that was my role in all of this was taking just the, the paperback because that's really all we had and then recreating the book. Uh, in a paperback. Um, and so it's going to be available as a paperback, a print-on-demand paperback from Amazon, um, but it's also going to be available as a ebook as well. And that's the one that, that that's doing that was kind of an interesting uh, experiment for me because while I was, while I was gathering all of the data and all the files, electronic files to actually create the book kind of dawned on me, you know, if Jack were still alive today, what would he be doing? WWJD, right? What would Jack do? Um, he'd probably, and I think uh, Dan would probably agree with me, he'd probably still be researching and finding, finding out the, you know, the latest and greatest uh, uh, things to add to the book. And he would probably embrace this idea of, of an ebook that would have all sorts of links in it directly to uh, videos, because uh, there's so many videos that you can watch now to, to podcasts like this one, to uh, stories, to uh, um, scientific studies or what have you. So when you get a hold of the ebook, it's, you're, I think people are going to find that very interesting because you can just be reading Jack's words from 35 years ago, and then and that's in black, and then all of a sudden you'll see this blue hyperlink to a, a, a new story that's uh, come out in the last 10 years. So what we decided to do together is to continue to update this the, the book and, and make it um, make it a, a living document going forward and even inviting readers if they have a an interesting story or something that they think should be added to the book um, folks can send it to uh, to the email address that we have there it's uh, emperorupdates at gmail.com and so we'll, we'll continually be looking at uh, these stories and if they're if they're good stories and the information is is uh, is well vetted, then we'll add it to the to the book. Um, well, ebooks are definitely the way of the future, and I, and I was a holdout for a while. I definitely wasn't an <clears throat> early adapter, um, but over the last couple of years, if I want a book these days, I just go on you know one of many apps and download it to my phone. And once you get used to looking at it on a screen about that big, you go, you know what, this is not so bad. And you know, you're not. It's yeah. better for the environment. Uh, it's yeah. less expensive. Um, so. So, I mean, naturally, I think ebook is the way to go with this. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is catching on. And I think um, the thing that I like about it when I'm in conversations with people um, and they have a question about the history of cannabis or uh, some sort of question, um, I just flip open my phone and I quickly scroll to the right chapter that uh, Jack wrote and they say, here's the story. And Oh, they go like, well, where did that come from? When I flip back to the bibliography and then I said, okay, here's the link. If you want to see that, we can pull it up too. So, uh, 
it's 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 a walking dictionary, a walking encyclopedia about Britannica on the topic of cannabis and hemp. So anybody that's interested in it, they can they can help educate others just by pulling it out with their phone and say, this is this is the truth. Here it is. So it's kind of a nice, nice thing. What about you, Dan? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I, I look at this. It, one, it's a really exciting format because you pick up this this product or you download this 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 file and it is a history book. But the the fact that it does have these hyperlinks in it, it, it also becomes a book of right now. It becomes a book of, you know, the possibilities of tomorrow because it's showing you right there in the book uh, through these hyperlinks, you know, stories that were talked about when Henry Ford was building his car that um, you can now click on a link that adjoins that and take them to to uh, what Bruce has done or what uh, Lotus has done or look at uh, how cannabis has become part of the automotive industry. You know, since 2002, uh, BMW has been working with cannabis fibers in all of their cars. Since 2009, Mercedes-Benz also makes all of their door panels and, and a lot of the internal structures of the cars through uh, cannabis fiber construction. So, you know, all of these folks that, that are uh, against uh, cannabis or, or don't understand it, you know, and many of them drive the Audis, the BMWs, the Mercedes, the Range Rovers, you know, all of which now use uh, modern day cannabis technology in order to make their products better, safer, um, more green. And, you know, but these are the same folks that would drive these cars and then stand up and spend every bit of their effort fighting against the use of this plant in society. Yet when they're driving down the road, they're surrounded by its safety and its purpose. Yeah. And therein lies the irony. Yeah. (laughs) It is extraordinarily, you know, one, it's frustrating at times, um, but the truth is coming out and cannabis is the future. And this book the way that it's put together now with these 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 hyperlinks is able to tell the story not just of the past, not just to illuminate what created the issues and why these issues were created over the last hundred years, mm-hmm. but what the potential of using this plant to its full utility will be to all mankind. Whether you support recreational use, whether you believe that it's a medicine, whether whether you know you believe anything about cannabis, the undeniable thing about it is that, like the shirt that I'm wearing now, this is cannabis. The hat that I'm wearing is made from cannabis. You know, many of the things that we use in our daily lives, even if we don't know it, whether it's our shampoo or our lotions. Uh, and even now, you know, bioplastics and 3D printing and paper, all of these things uh, are made with hemp. I mean, there's hemp ink for printing. There's there's an entire future that is laid out in this book uh, and an understanding of, of what we could be as a society. You know, right now with this, this coronavirus, they're talking about the fact that people are sequestering inside, that the air is becoming cleaner, that the waters, like the fish were returning to, I think it was either Italy or, you know, that they were coming back into the canals because the imprint of man is, is so intense around the planet that the things that this plant can do could help to alleviate so many of those things without having to be sequestered. You know, we could have that. I love the fact that it's a living document. The idea of that uh, gives it life, you know, from here forward. Um, yes. Tell me something, when and where can people get the ebook? It launches on 420-2020. Okay. 
And and it'll be on Amazon and all the standard sort of ebook uh, applications and sites. I believe it'll be through Amazon exclusively. Yes. Yes. Being that everyone's going to be quarantined, perhaps from like next week forward for God knows how long, have you thought about maybe bumping it up a few weeks? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, I, I think that that might not be such a bad idea, but at, at this time, it's also hard to get that information out. And where I think we're trying to build uh, to it being released with some level of, of notoriety rather than uh, have it trickle out. Uh, I, I think 420, I, I think, carries a special yeah well that's symbolically it's the ideal day to to drop it for sure you know and um i'm just uh, really humbled that i've been able to work with bruce uh, and put this book out in a way that's still reflective of my father's vision uh and and in a sense the the hopes of of what the, the this new you know this new understanding of cannabis is, and and I'm I'm really happy to be able to to bring this out, and I'm I'm grateful to be here on your show. Has there been anything that we've missed, or do you guys have any final thoughts that you can bestow upon my listeners? Well, today the cannabis community, for the most part, especially the younger community, they might be part of the choir, but they don't know the songs. You know, and this book is that songbook. This book is the thing that you can stand up. You can stand up and shout at the top of your lungs. You can communicate these these facts, these this history, in a, in a way that gives you that voice, that gives you that power, that gives you the ability to stand up and be heard and not challenged to the point where you give up and retreat. Yeah. At this point, you're able to take real facts and real opportunity to take that adversary that is across the room from you telling you what you're doing is so evil and turn them into an advocate through understanding and truth. And this book still today, 35 years after its publication, is still the most powerful tool that we could possibly have in our arsenal to fight this ignorance that we're still compelled to have to deal with. That might be the most perfect way to end this because that analogy, yeah, perfectly said, man. It, it makes perfect sense and I can't wait for people to hear this interview. Um, I want to say thank you to you guys for doing this with me, uh, for taking the time and uh, I guess cautionary, please be safe. Uh, we're all in three different parts of the world. I think, Dan, you're on lockdown now. Is that right? 40 million We people. are. Um, I, I work in radio. I manage a radio station here in Calgary. So I imagine I'll continue to go to work because we have to stay on air and deliver news. Um, but these are going to be interesting times. So like I said, I'm looking forward to shutting in should I have to and reading the book. So thank you so much. Yes, sir. Great. Thank months. you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Take care. Thank you so much to Dan and Bruce for taking the time to talk to me about the book itself and why an e-version of the book is critical at this time. And they've since reached out to me to let me know that in fact, they've moved the release date forward for those of you stuck inside and want something amazing to read. The e-book is on Amazon now. Go get it. And finally, don't forget that I have a new YouTube page as well. Just search for Cannabis Update Podcast to watch all of my full, unedited interviews as well as highlight clips and more. Follow me on Twitter at CanUpdatePod, C-A-N-N Update P-O-D. And to find out about all the work that I do, check out distinctmedia.ca. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned because the next podcast is ready to launch. All right, hit it, Amber. Thanks for listening to the Cannabis Update Podcast. We do our very best to be as accurate as possible, but take no responsibility for inaccurate details or facts. If something interests you, we're glad to have brought it to your attention, but please take the time to research the details for yourself.